0: So, who was here last week when we played the new Catch the Fire branding video? Wave at me if you were here. Uh, about 60%. So, Catch the Fire, which is the name of our church, ta-da, uh, we recently spent about a year uh, talking, like there were lots of groups that met over all over the world, and we're talking about what what is it about our church that... God has anointed us to do, that God has called us to do, and in some ways it might be different from what other parts of the body of, the, of, the body of Christ do, and in some ways it might line up with other parts, but what, what do we feel like God is pouring into us, and what are, like, what are we doing? What's our mission, and who are we? And so, the, one of the, the three core things that we identified were presence, as in God's presence, encounter, as in encountering God, and transformation, as in God remaking us, rebirthing us, renewing us, transforming us. So I'm going to talk about presence today, the presence of God. Um, How many of you have heard somebody, maybe at Catch the Fire, maybe somewhere else, uh, start a prayer or a meeting with something like this? Come, Holy Spirit. If you've been to our church before, you've heard that from somebody. In fact, I'm pretty sure the meetings that were held nightly in Toronto for years and years and years were called Holy Spirit meetings or come Holy Spirit meetings. Um, So I I have mixed feelings about that phrase because in some ways I think it's inaccurate because God is everywhere. God is everywhere. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. So, asking, asking God to come implies that He's not already where we're asking Him to be. Hmm. But we pray that all the time, and things happen. Why? Why, why does that happen? In, in some ways, you know, any language we use about God is just, falls way short of who God is and, and, and what God is. Like, we just cannot comprehend, much less express God, right? So I think in some ways, when we say, come Holy Spirit, it's like when my two-year-old daughter or even, you know, younger kids, they just make a sound, they're like, "Ma!" And like, as a parent, you know what that child <laughs> wants. Like, other people are like, what? Did you step on like a squeaky toy? You're like, oh, no, no, my kid wants milk right now. Like, oh, their diaper's dirty. Oh, they probably, oh, this probably happened. You're tuned in to your child to the point where you can understand these incoherent babblings and make a connection with them. And in some ways, I think that's part of what's happening. At the same time, I think come Holy Spirit is an accurate thing to ask God to do. I think it is accurate to ask God to come to a place, even though he's already here. Um, the reason I think this is because of some things I've read in the Bible. So, if you, you can read in Exodus. I'm not going to read it all. There's chapters upon chapters about God's instructions to the people of Israel. They've left Egypt, and they're traveling in the desert, and he's like, all right, I want you to build me, like, a tent, a house. And they call it a tabernacle. And it's this... Thing that you can assemble and disassemble and carry with you, and it's there's the instructions are so detailed. There are chap there's chapter upon chapter about the type of wood and the cloth and the color to use, and they get the best artisans and craftspeople to make these things. Uh, it's it's so precise and detailed. It's amazing, and one of the things they make is the holy of holies, and they make a thing called the ark, and the ark of the covenant which is the agreement between God and his people, the promise between God and his people, goes in this holy of holies. There's an outer court area. Then there's a holy area that's like you have to pass through another veil or curtain. And then there's the even smaller little sanctum that's the holy of holies. And God's presence in this place is extremely thick. And if the, if the priests who are, not, who are ministering, on behalf of the people and to God on behalf of the people and connecting with God on behalf of the people, don't wear the proper clothes and go through the whole proper process to get into that place. Like there's a wash bowl, there's incense, there's a, a lampstand, stand, there's a, there's a place where they offer burnt sacrifices. There's all this stuff they have to go through before they can enter this place. And if they don't, they will die. That's pretty intense. <laughs> Are we sure we want to say, come Holy Spirit? <laughs> I don't think we really know what we're asking for when we say that sometimes. But we trust God, so we say it anyway. So what's with this holy of holies? There's some, God's presence is thicker in that place, isn't it? He, he has chosen to thicken himself, to make himself more present in that certain place. It's kind of like like the air we breathe, we breathe oxygen, right? That's what keeps us alive, but the air we breathe isn't oxygen. It's mostly nitrogen, um, about 78%, and about 21% of it is oxygen, and then you've got a little bit of argon, and a little bit of carbon dioxide, and we have more methane than we used to, and trace amounts of other gases. What we really need is the oxygen. And so you'll see in ambulances and hospitals, they'll have oxygen canisters and tanks for people who are like, you know, they're not doing well. And they need, they need an extra potent amount of oxygen and they put a the little mask on so they can breathe that. But the thing with oxygen is, the higher the concentration of oxygen in the atmosphere around something, it can actually be dangerous which is why you're not supposed to smoke near uh, oxygen tanks. Oxygen isn't flammable, oddly enough, but what it does is if you increase the oxygen content in the air around something, the object or the stuff that is flammable will ignite at a lower temperature and it will burn hotter and faster. So wood burns, you know, you can set wood on fire, you can make a campfire, you can set it on fire. But if you did that in a room that had more than 21% oxygen in the air, the wood would, would catch fire much more easily. Like you might not have to light paper on fire. I don't, I don't know. I haven't actually experimented with this. Probably shouldn't experiment with this, but you could light a log on fire, a lot more, you wouldn't have to do all the, like, like get the birch bark and do all this, like, start s- small and go big. You could light it on fire much more easily, and it would burn hotter and faster. That's what, that's what oxygen does. So when, when God's presence is thicker in a place, different things happen. Things react differently. We are more liable. <laughs> we're We're more vulnerable. So, I think it's both inaccurate and accurate to say, come Holy Spirit. That's my long-winded way of saying that. (laughs) And that's what we pray, and that's why we pray it. So, I think it's it's probably a good thing to do to recognize, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in this place, for existing in this world before we did. The, The first creation story in Genesis, in Genesis 1, talks about the Spirit brooding over the surface of the waters before God created, formed the world into actual stuff. So he's he's already here. But we can ask him to make himself more here. But that will change things. We'll be more likely to ignite, to catch fire, if you will. (laughs) To catch the fire. See, it's all connected. Um, (laughs) So, this this is in the Old Testament. This is is how God's like, here, guys, while you're traveling through the desert, make this big tent tabernacle thing, make this smaller one, then make this really small one and carry this stuff. There's this whole process of how they disassemble it and assemble it and carry it with them because... They're traveling, and they're traveling with God. And sometimes I, I wonder, like, I, the last time I preached, I talked about Exodus and how the, like, the people get out of Egypt, and they're like, oh, no, God brought us out here to kill us. And he gets them through the Red Sea, and then they're like, oh, we don't have any food. God brought us out here to kill us. Why do we have any food? And then he gives them miraculous food all the time. And they're like, oh, God brought us out here to kill us. We don't have any water. Why? We should be back in Egypt. Like, it's like, seriously, guys. <laughs> Do you not remember anything that God has done? If you read through the Bible, you see psalms, and you'll see sermons, and you'll see all types of genres of literature and ways of saying, remember when God did this? Remember when God did this? And they do things to remember. They set up, they set up monuments, and they, they have the temple system. They have all this stuff, and they, have, they read the Scripture and the Torah, and they're supposed to remember, 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 remember God. He's still here with us. Don't forget it. But I know, I don't know about you, I know in my life, it is easy to forget that God is with me. On Monday morning, it can be really easy to forget that God is with me. I don't always feel God with me. I think that's one of the reasons why we gravitate to saying something like, come Holy Spirit, come here, because we don't feel like he is. And I think it's really important to remember that although, yes, God can thicken himself in a place, and we, we want him to do that, we can be aware of him all the time. And Jesus revolutionizes radically the way that we can do that. The way that can, we can relate to God, the way that we can be aware of the present, his presence, and the way that we can actually be with God. So, if you want, you can turn to Matthew uh, 1. Uh, I'm going to read it. Some of it here. Yes, I stole my wife's Bible, so she can't read it. We have several more at home. I have one in my bag. You can have it if you want. But I'm going to read it, so you, you, you can follow along with your ears if you want. This is in verse 18. This is how Jesus, God's anointed one, was born. His mother, Mary, had promised Joseph to be his wife, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her fiancé, Joseph, was a righteous man, full of integrity, and he didn't want to disgrace her, but when he learned of her pregnancy, he secretly planned to break up the engagement. So he didn't want to make a big public deal of dumping her because obviously she's gotten pregnant and not by him, that's kind of a scandal. But while he was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him in clear light and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife, because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Savior, or Jesus." For he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. This happened so that what the Lord spoke through his prophet would come true. Listen, a virgin will be pregnant. She will give birth to a son, and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God with us. When Joseph awoke from his dream, he did all the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. He took Mary to be his wife, but they refrained from having sex until she gave birth to her son, whom they named Jesus. This is a little bit confusing to me, because in verse uh, 21, the angel clearly says to Joseph, you will give birth, Mary will give birth to, you won't give birth, Mary will give birth to a son, name him Jesus. And then the writer of this gospel story says, this happened so that what the prophet said would come true. A virgin will become pregnant, give birth, It will be known as Emmanuel. Jesus and Emmanuel are not the same name. (laughs) You've got one verse that says, name him this. And then later, it says they named him Jesus. But in there, sandwiched in there, is name him Emmanuel. He will be called Emmanuel. Jesus has a lot of names in the Bible. (laughs) Anointed, we've already heard some of them. The Anointed One, Son of David, Prince of Peace, you'll find in there. Uh, What else, guys? Son of David. Wonderful Counselor, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, Lord of all, Lion of Judah, Rose of Sharon. There are so many names by which we call God. I think it's intentionally important that Jesus, Savior, which means Savior, the name Jesus means Savior, um, it, it's, essentially, it's Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation, Restoration and deliverance. So Savior, the one who saves. Uh, but that's that's what God with us is. God's presence with us is salvation. Jesus is Emmanuel. The one who saves. Is God with us? Because what happens when God is with us? We're born again. We're set free. The captives are released. The blind see. Those who are in darkness come to light. The oppressed are given hope and freedom. You know what? I'm just going to read that. This, this is, Jesus goes to the temple in Luke 4, he says, and he preaches from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, and to preach to prisoners. You are set free. I have come to share the message of jubilee, the message of God's favor, and the time of God's great acceptance has begun. That's what, God, that's what God's presence is. We cannot underestimate the, the radical nature of God saying, I, I, I've always been with you, but I'm literally with you now. We had, this, we had this tabernacle, but now I'm a person. I'm with you. You know, like how much difference does it make to you when you're sick and your mom is with you? Or someone you love is with you. Your spouse is with you. Isn't it like the worst being sick alone? Everything that sucks in life is worse when you're alone. It is the presence of people who love you that can make all the difference. In the crappy stuff we have to go through. And this is God saying, I'm with you. This is me saving you. Follow me. You're not lost. You're not alone. You're not purposeless. You, you, you have a compass. You have me. I will literally carry you if you need to be carried. You're not on your own. This is, this is how Matthew starts out the story of Jesus' life. And near the end of the story, in chapter 27 of Matthew, this is what happens. This is during the crucifixion, where Jesus has been uh, wrongfully accused and sentenced to death on a cross, the worst, most humiliating way that the Roman Empire would kill people. Um even though he's totally innocent. For three hours, beginning at noon, darkness came over the earth. And at three o'clock... Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Some who were standing near the cross misunderstood and said, he's calling for Elijah. One bystander ran and got a sponge, soaked it with sour wine, and then put it on a stick and held it up for Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to rescue him. Jesus passionately cried out, took his last breath, and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook violently. Rocks were split apart, and graves were opened. Then many of the holy ones who had died were brought back to life and came out of their graves. And after Jesus' resurrection, they were plainly seen by many people walking in Jerusalem. Now when the Roman military officer and his soldiers witnessed what was happening and felt the powerful earthquake, they were extremely terrified. They said, there is no doubt this man was the Son of God. That thing... that God told the people in the wilderness to put up between his thickest, most holy place where he would manifest his thickest presence. I don't think he ever really wanted that to be there. I think the people needed it to be there. Like they couldn't even remember, oh yeah, this guy's going to feed us. They couldn't handle the fullness, the power, the weightiness, the potency of God's presence. But he still wanted to give it to them. He's like, you can't handle it, but I'll put it in this little place. Because someday I'm going to rip that veil apart. Hebrews 10 says this. Now, we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus, and he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly, with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new, life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. As if it wasn't intense enough already, right? We enter God's presence through Jesus' body torn apart. This is part of what we remember when we take communion or we celebrate the Eucharist. Jesus is the bread of life. We tear apart a piece of bread and we all eat some of it. We pour out some wine or grape juice and we all drink some of it. Through his body and blood, we enter his presence. Isn't that so, it's simple, right? Bread, wine. Wine. Juice. It's simple. These like these are staples of existence in the ancient world. Like we have a lot more fancy food nowadays. Um, we also have a lot more preservatives and things that maybe be poison us. But we have a lot of variety. But this is simple stuff. Entering God's presence is very simple. But this, that doesn't make it less profound. And we would be wise to be mindful of Jesus' sacrifice when we enter God's presence. To not flippantly say, oh, come Holy Spirit. But we should do it boldly. We should do it with confidence. So how do, we, how do we enter God's presence Monday morning when we're not gathered together here, we're not singing awesome, our favorite worship songs, surrounded by other people who are worshiping their guts out, when you're standing at the bus stop and it's minus 25 and it's still dark outside and you've got to, not really looking forward to your tasks of the day, how do you enter God's presence? Or how do you f- become aware of his presence that's already there? James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It t- <laughs> sorry, sorry to disappoint. There's no magical thing where you snap your fingers, and then it just works. It takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes work. But it's so worth it. It's, just, it's like any relationship. How do you spend time with someone? How do you have a relationship with someone? You spend time with them. You talk to them. You do things with them. You don't have a relationship with someone with whom you do not do those things. You know, we know way too much about famous people in our society. But we don't have relationships with them. Some people act and live as if they have relationships with certain famous people and get like really attached to the comings and goings of their lives, but they don't have a relationship with that person. It's a it's a fantasy. It's possible for us to go through life and have the same type of relationship, quote-unquote, with God, of a celebrity who we hear... We sing songs about at church, and we read about in the Bible, but we don't actually know. And that's tragic, because it's actually not super difficult. It does take effort, but it's not super difficult. It's not like something only, you know, the, the greatest saints of our time will ever achieve, a relationship with God. He tore the veil so that not just this priest who's who's of the right heritage and who's wearing the right vestments and has done the right sacrifices etc 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 can enter and be in this thick place he ripped that apart so that everyone would have access to this everyone everywhere Romans 12:1 says the mercies of Go- by the mercies of God present your bodies As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'll read it again. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Hebrew verb draw near is almost the same as the verb to offer a sacrifice. It's the same root word. Drawing near to God is offering God a sacrifice. And there's many ways we can do this. Really practically, we can pray. We can read Scripture. We can thank God for things. Just maintain thankfulness. Instead of focusing on negative things, focus on positive things. Oh, thank you, God, that I have a warm jacket. Instead of focusing on the minus 25 or minus 45 wind chill that's, you know, blasting against your side. Thank God for the jacket. Some people don't have those. We can read scripture. That is a fantastic way to draw close to God. And not just on your own, read it with other people, because you'll see things that you didn't see otherwise. We do a lot of personal devotions in our culture, but sometimes we miss out on bio- like reading together, where we're like, hey, oh, that, you noticed that, but this is what stands out to me. And then you realize some whole new thing that neither of you would have realized on your own. Cool. Uh, journaling, which is a way of listening to God and helping you focus your thoughts and actually have a conversation with God. Um, maybe we'll teach on this sometime. We have taught on it before at an encounter, but join a small group. I'm sure your small group leaders can teach you how to do that, or a connect group, I should say. Uh, a great way is to meet with other believers. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in your midst. So this is a great way. But you don't have to do it just here. That's why we also have connect groups. That's why it's good to also just build spontaneous social relationships with other people, right? That One of the ways we experience God's presence is through other people. If Jesus lives in us, If we are new creations in Christ, then when we are with someone, they are experiencing God's presence in a more present way. We, us, our bodies, our persons, what we do are actual literal manifestations of God's presence, of the thickness of God's presence in the world around us. Because we are alive in Christ. That's powerful. That might help change your attitude when you are like, when you feel powerless, like, and when you feel like, oh, I don't make any difference. You make a huge difference. You just don't always know the difference that you make. You don't always see the effects of the difference that you make. You don't always see the impact that your presence and the way that you interact with other people has in their lives and in the world around us. But we walk by faith, not by sight. So be encouraged. Your presence is more effective than you realize. Some of my favorite ways of drawing near to God are worship, like corporate worship, where we get together and sing songs, good songs that magnify God and praise God and recognize who God is and what our place in Him is. These are some of the best theological expressions that we have in our culture because they're things that we can keep in our mind and meditate on and like come to ourselves while we're doing stuff, it's important. And one of my other favorite ways is through meditation or what we often call soaking at Catch the Fire, which is basically where you just take some time, usually by yourself, uh, but you could do it with others as well, often people will put on some gentle music and just like rest in God's presence. Welcome God. Say, thank you for being here, God. We give you our time. We give you our hearts now. Thicken your presence with us. And then, basically do nothing. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough to do nothing. Our culture, our society, does not value doing nothing. Wise people value doing nothing, and so you'll see articles about you know these really wealthy business people who like, oh, what do you? Oh, you you actually just you don't use your you intentionally don't use your phone except between these two hours of the day. Like th- These are things that people do because they realize it's distracting for our brains to have stuff constantly bombarding us. Let's practice having our minds being constantly aware of the presence of God that is always around us. We probably don't need to know every five minutes or in real time when somebody interacts with something that we've posted on the internet. Probably. Make your own judgments, but. But it can be hard to do nothing, can't it? It feels useless, feels powerless, unproductive, can feel pointless. And none of these things are a surefire guarantee that if you do this for this amount of time or in this way, between the hours of such and such, so many days a week, then this is what you will experience in your life. There's no, there's no like ex- explicit guarantee of what will happen. We don't know what will happen. And that's because we're not God. We're we're not in control entirely of our interaction with God, but we are in control of if we give Him our time, if we give Him our attention. When I uh, was a, a teenager, many moons ago, um, it sucked. <laughs> It was tough. Nobody really taught me how to be an adult, how to grow up. I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know how to be myself. That was probably the worst part, is I didn't know how to be myself. And so I'd be surrounded by people in high school and feel utterly alone. And I was too insecure to even say hi to someone who I had met before. And for someone who likes people, I mean for anyone, that's terrible. And uh you know like i was i was I was suicidal at some points, so I seriously contemplated killing myself because I was hopeless. I, was like, I don't how am I ever going i I don't see any way out of me being like this so later in my high school years, I did make some friends or. Some friends made me their friend, maybe more accurately. But they also had pain in their lives, and they didn't know how to deal with it either. So we started drinking together, which I didn't really like, because I don't like feeling sick and hungover. Uh, But then one of my friends got some marijuana, some weed, and we started smoking that together. And I did like that, because it didn't make me sick. We ate a lot of snacks and just hung out together. I loved that. That was fun. <laughs> in context. Of course, it didn't really solve any of the problems in my life. It was, kind, it was like a counterfeit of actual relationships and real vulnerability with real friends and real support with people. It was a counterfeit version of that but it was something we, I could control. When you drink or when you do drugs, you can control it. It often gets out of control. That's the deception of it. It seems like you can control it because you can go somewhere, you can, pay X, you can pay so much money, buy something, a tangible thing, you can put a bunch of it in your body through various methods, and something will happen to you. It seems like we have a lot of agency, power, and control in that, doesn't it? And that's why addictions, it's the whole process, it's the ritual surrounding the addiction that's part of the addiction. It's doing all the things that get you to the high that is part of the addiction because you feel in control. You feel powerful. It all feeds that, thing, like, Okay, I'm, everything's not out of control. I'm doing this, and this is going to happen. And it's, it, it does. Thank God for God. So during this time, I also uh, was at a church in my town, and thankfully they like to worship God, and the Holy Spirit was there, of course, because he's everywhere. And so in worship at this church I would feel God's presence every once in a while. If it was like the that song that like everyone was if just like the right combination the lights are off and it's like and then I would feel God. And it was like this is good. This is life. I feel alive. I don't just feel like like, distracted from pain, I feel alive. But how do you get that on Monday morning? When you're off to class, or you're waiting at the bus stop, or you're five minutes into your workday, and you feel like, oh my God, it's been eight hours already? No, it's been five minutes. Like, how do do you access that? And even in my teenage mind, I was like, Okay, that is God. <laughs> that's, you know, that, like it, that's not static electricity. That someone's like, accidentally poke my arm and I feel like a jewel. That was God. This is God. God is everywhere. Why don't I feel this everywhere? Why am I not aware of this all the time? Especially when I feel horrible. And when I'm going through just monotonous drudgery of life. And why is probably not the best question, but it got me on the right track, which was I should be able to be aware of God's presence here all the time. There is no veil between the Holy of Holies and where I am right now. God is not in the church sanctuary when we're worshiping and then not. So what do I do? And so I wrestled with this for a while. You know, I was still abusing substances and still worshiping God. I was still trying to control my life and I was still seeking God. I was still hungry for God. Eventually, one Sunday, um, I think it was during worship or some part of the church service, God gave me this picture. This picture popped into my mind. I didn't know, I didn't have language or grid for, you know, God talking to me and, and giving me impressions and that sort of thing at that time. But I knew it was from God, and it was a picture of myself. Years, a few years down the road, and I was basically in a ditch with a needle in my arm. Dying. And I knew God was giving me a choice. I'm an intense person, so God spoke to me in an intense way. (laughs) But this is the reality that so many people actually live through, guys. I mean, it is kind of funny, but it is also true. And I knew that if I kept going with marijuana and alcohol and that kind of stuff to try to deal with pain and try to just cope with life, that wasn't going to be enough. It's it's enough now, but my friends are going to move away, and I'm going to just smoke so much weed that I'm just going to be smoking it all the time. And then that's going to be the normal. And then, well, wait, I still feel like crap all the time, even though I'm stoned all the time. So what do you do? You start doing harder drugs and harder drugs. And I knew this was God telling me, you can go this road. This is where it ends. If you travel the length of this road, this is where it ends. You overdose and die. And that's what happens to so many people. Because it's never enough. You can never drink enough. You can never smoke enough. You can never shoot enough, snort enough. You can never put enough stuff in your body to fix yourself and make the pain go away. But there's a way better way also, which is Jesus. And it's as simple as bread. And we don't even have to eat bread to be aware of his presence. And so I, I, I chose, I was like, okay, I need, to, I need to stop. Either I want God or I want other stuff. And I'm sure God would have given me the same choice many, many other times if I had chosen poorly in that moment because he's merciful and he's gracious I, I may not have been able to hear as well, but I think the offer still would have been on hold. The offer's always there. But the sooner, the better. Like, for, for God's sake, for your sake, the sooner, the better. And, but it sucked, because I was like, okay, I'm choosing God. What do I do? I am not in control of God. There's no guarantee when I go home from this Sunday morning church service where I've had this powerful encounter with God where he's, He sh- clearly showed me I have a, a choice I can make in my life, and obviously the implication is if I choose God, He will be with me. But when I go home and I'm sitting in my room by myself depressed on Sunday afternoon, there's no guarantee that I'm going to all of a sudden feel God's presence. Right? So, but I decided, I was like, well, I have to try. I know he's there. So, in faith, I'm going to just draw near to God. I'm going to present myself as a sacrifice. So, what I would do is, I would honestly, I would often just do it in silence. I would just find, like, And even when I went to the School of Ministry in Toronto, they had a special room because everyone's, like, in this giant warehouse and you have no privacy. Like, my, my bedroom, which I shared with at least two other guys, didn't even have a ceiling. Okay, so there's not a lot of privacy. But they had, like, two little, like, basically glorified closets where you could go and spend alone time with God. And I used that all the time. And I would go and I would sit. Usually, I mean, I didn't have... I didn't have an iPad or an iPhone or back then it was iPods. I didn't have that stuff. I would just sit in silence and be like, okay, God, I'm, this, this may not be like my favorite time in the world, but I know you enjoy this. I know you love being with me. Guys, God loves being with you. He loves it when you give him his attention. Like, think about somebody that you love being with. Or think about when you've had a crush on somebody and you just want to, like, hang out with them all the time. All you want them to do is notice you and be with you and stuff. That's how God feels about you. It's incredible, but it's true. Just give him that. You may not be, like have any sensory awareness of Him being with you, but it is a powerful thing when you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, which is drawing near to Him, He will draw near to you. And I think something about doing that as a discipline regularly, eventually I was like, I can I can become aware of God's presence pretty much whenever I chose to do that. Like, Okay, I'm on the bus, I'm just, okay. Holy Spirit. And it's not to say that I came into control of God or his presence, but I came into more control of myself. Because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And when you have that fruit, you can discipline yourself to focus on God and be aware of God in a way that you couldn't before. It takes practice, though. But do it, guys. It's so worth it. Like the payoffs of drugs and alcohol or TV or shopping or overeating, like they have a cost too, right? And we pay these costs often without really thinking about it, but we won't give God like 10 minutes of focused attention where it's actually difficult to focus our minds and we're distract and intentionally focus on God and yet we say we love him but we do it's what we're crying out for all the time right whether we like it it, it can be so tough but God is with you and he it's by his mercies We present ourselves. So I'm going to pray for you guys because we've been talking about this, but I want to do this. And we're getting low on time. So can, uh, oh, my wife just left. I was going to ask her to play some music. (laughs) Sunita. (laughs) Um, Can we fill up the communion cups? We're going to. We're just going to take some time to engage with God's presence. While we're all here together, we're going to take communion together. I'm going to pray for you guys. We can pray for each other as well. Um, so if you like to know what's going on, that's what's going on right now. <laughs> So, Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much, that you're, you are with us, that you are present to us, that you are God with us in this moment and in every moment. And we do ask, Holy Spirit, that you would thicken your presence in this place right now. Thank you that you, we have never been alone since the moment of our birth and since even before that. God, help us be aware of you. Help us sense you. Not just in our minds that we know you're with us, but God, we need to feel you with us, God. Our hearts feel so much pain in so many ways. We have all been hurt, God. We need you with us because you are our salvation. You are healing. You are wholeness. Your broken body and your spilled blood are life and wholeness to us. They are strength and healing. God, we come before you we set aside our, our cares and concerns, our worries, and we just say, God, we want to be with you.